Let's go to John 5. Uh, turn there, if you would. I think it's on page, I don't know, 890-ish. We'll get there in just a moment. But John chapter 5, and we're going to finish the chapter this morning, 890 and 891, on the uh, Bibles there in your chairs. If you don't have a Bible, grab that, take it home with you. Uh, we'd love for that to be our gift to you. We're going to read, starting in verse 30, we're going to finish chapter 5 uh, today. So follow along with me. This is God's word. It says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me and the Father that sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life, but it is they, it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. All right, God, we ask that you would speak powerfully through your spirit. Use me uh, as your conduit to speak to each one of our hearts this morning. We come with, with open and eager hearts. Um, give, may they be softened by your spirit. May we be transformed by your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray once again. Amen. All right, so we're in the middle of uh, John chapter 5. is one big discourse that is... That is uh, revolving around this event where Jesus heals this man, tells him to take up his mat and walk. That freaks out the religious people because they've made up their mind that they can't take up beds, take up mats on the Sabbath. And so that leads to them saying, what are you doing, man? You're breaking the law. And he says, well, the guy who healed me told me to. And then they go, well, who's that guy? And this ratchets up the intensity on Jesus's persecution. So last week we looked at um, how really Jesus doesn't give us an option. The, 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 the Bible doesn't give us an option to just think that Jesus is a good teacher, a good moral uh, leader, a social justice warrior, and, but not God. Either he is God or he is a lunatic or a liar. We really don't get an option in between. And so this is really um, unpacking that even further, and it's going to show not just that that is the option, either you're going to fall down and worship him, as C.S. Lewis says, or you're going to dismiss him, um, but today we're going to see even more why, because Jesus is going to take that, that interaction. He has people now who are following him and have been saved by believing in his word, believing in 
him who uh, sent him. There, there's people that have been saved, been born again. They're now giving their lives to Jesus. But there are other people who are now dead set on killing Jesus. And Jesus is really going to boil right down to the why behind that. He's going to get into the heart today. Um, and so he does that um, sort of by, by just putting together a bit of a case. And so uh, some of them are going to say, there's no way that you have the authority to say that what we can do and what we can't do on the Sabbath. Or even more so, what God can do or what God does do on the Sabbath. This is the, the point of contention. They are really postured up because Jesus is coming against their beliefs and what they believe to be true about God. And so, listen, we can, we can like give them a bad name. We can kind of go there and, and you know, how could they not believe? And there's some of that. But we need to give the right amount of credit here because they believe they're actually defending the truth in the right cause, right? They believe that they are standing up for what God's word says. And so we need to give them a little bit of empathy as they rise up in this moment. And I think in some ways this is what Jesus is doing too because he's going to, to give them you know, a little bit of understanding saying, listen, I get it. What I'm doing is upsetting your whole worldview. But here's, here's what I, he says, I, I can't do anything on my own. I'm not here as just a religious maverick who's come to bring a new revolution and watch what I can do. He says, no, no, I'm doing what God has sent me to do. So verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is Jesus saying there? He's talking about, he's saying, listen, I've come and I will be judging. But listen, I mean, we have to worry about people in positions of power, don't we? We got elections coming up. We got judge. Like, there's always this question of, do we trust this person? Are they there for us? Are they there for the the you know for justice, or are they there for their own you know agenda? Are they there for their own um, you know puffing up their own power? Maybe they've been lobbied. We have to question people's motives. And so Jesus sort of says, "Listen, I get it. I can't just say that." I am this, right? And you got to believe me. Uh, really, um, even back in the Old Testament, it would say, hey, don't believe somebody just based on one testimony, right? It's just good law practice. You, you need multiple witnesses. And so Jesus is going to say that. Uh, verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, then my testimony is not true. So he's saying, I'll give you that. Like, if it's just me doing these things, telling you I'm going to tear down the, the temple, telling you what we can do on the Sabbath, then yeah, you, you got beef with me. You should be upset with me. But Jesus is going to go on to say, but there's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Jesus is saying, I have no conflict in my spirit. I'm secure in my identity because I'm here on behalf of someone else. I'm not here for my own agenda. You don't have to question my motives. I, if I were here on my own agenda, listen, if Jesus was here for his own self-serving agenda, the story that we find in the Gospels would look a lot different. And if you don't realize that, you're not tracking with the Gospels. Because all of us would treat these circumstances differently than Jesus does. We've talked often already, just in, in the first few chapters, we've seen Jesus pull away from crowds that wanted to give him honor and praise and even begin to you know, move him into a kingship position. And, and Jesus doesn't run after any of that. He doesn't look to prove himself right. Instead, he'll just slip away. He doesn't look to, to uh, win these arguments. No, he's, he's content to do the work that he's been sent, to not have to defend himself. You, 
listen, we're all in different places with our own identity and our, like, our, our own security about how we feel about us. But you know that when somebody starts to question your motives, when they start to question who you are, it's easy to rise up and want to be defensive. And Jesus is saying, I, I don't have to do that because I'm confident in who I am because who I am rests in someone greater than me. Jesus is deferring back to God the Father, the one who sent him, and he knows that he's in the right. He knows that his testimony is secure because, verse 32, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He's, he's talking about God the Father. He's talking about the fact that he's been sent from heaven. What John went to great lengths to unpack for us in John chapter 1 Jesus knows that as well. He was there, right? He knows he's been sent by God the Father. And so he's saying, listen, I don't have to worry about whether you like me or not. I don't have to worry about whether you believe me or not. I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. Whether you think so, whether you agree or not, it's just how it is. But he's going to go on to now unpack some witnesses. So Jesus is going to give him the fact that it's a little hard to believe that he is who he says he is. He's going to sort of say, I get that, but let me tell you, it's not just me. Let me bring some witnesses forward for you so that you have substantiated evidence to go, okay, yeah, it's not just one man doing this stuff. So he's going to go through a few witnesses. He's going to go through John the Baptist. He's going to go through God himself. He's going to go through the scriptures, and he's even going to call on Moses, whom they've built their hope on. So he's going to call forward sort of four witnesses to validate that he is who he says he is, and therefore, he gets to say what he's going to say, and we have to respond accordingly. So he says first in 33, you sent John, he's talking about John the Baptist, and he bore witness about the truth. Okay, so he goes, you, you sent to John. Okay, so if you remember... Back in, in the early chapters, John's out baptizing people. He's drawing a crowd, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they send some messengers out there, don't they? They send messengers out there to say, hey, who are you? Y'all remember that? And, and so this is what he's saying. You sent to John, and he is born witness to the truth. You, you saw John as, as somebody credible. Some, something's going on with him. We need to find out. And he told you that it wasn't about him, that it was about me. In verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, okay? So Jesus is going to say, listen, it really isn't contingent on what men say, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Listen, you need to know that the heart of Jesus is always so that people may be saved. Everything that he is doing, he is giving people an opportunity to be saved. What, what, how, what we do with that, how we respond, it leads to a hardening of our own hearts or to the salvation that he gives. But this, this he's saying, listen, I don't owe you this explanation. I'm going to be on my throne one day. What, like when you stand before God in eternity and judgment will come, I'll be there whether you're there or not. I'll be there whether you think I should be or not, but this is for you. I'm, I'm doing this so that you may be saved. And so he says, let me, let me just tell you the evidence that's out there. You sent to John, he told you that I was the one that God promised to send. Verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So he's saying, John like, was, was drawing a crowd. It was it was popular to go and hear John. It was popular to be a, a disciple of John for a while. He was a burning and shining lamp. What does a lamp do? A lamp shows you the way. 
Okay, a lamp is not the way. A lamp is never your destination, is it? Like, you use a lamp to, to shine light on where you need to go, right? And that's what John was sent to do. Not to be the destination, not to be the thing, but to shine light, to be the one that said, this is the path, this is who God has sent, you need to follow, and his name is Jesus. So that's, that's what John was, and Jesus is saying, you, you guys were cool with him for a bit. You were cool with kind of, you know, rallying around him and, and riding his popularity. There was, a, there was a resurgence of religious interest when John showed up. It was the first prophet that they'd had in, in, in several generations. And so they were, they were content with that. Let, let's, hey, let's use John for our, if, if he's bringing people back around, if there's a religious resurgence, maybe we can use him to sort of stir some rebellion, uh, you know, to stand firm against Rome. Maybe we can use John, right? And, and so you, you saw some of that happen. John was consistently deferring the attention uh, off of himself, saying there's one who's coming, is greater than me. I can't even pretend that I'm worthy to untie his sandal. But this is what John, so Jesus is saying, y'all were cool with that for a little bit. But the testimony that I have is even greater than John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness that the Father has sent me. So the second witness is his works. From God himself, Jesus has done works that nobody else can do. If you remember, Nicodemus comes to him and says, hey, we know you're from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless they're from God. Right? The, the way that Jesus was healing people, the way that Jesus was talking, the way that Jesus was doing his ministry stood as a witness for people to have to do something with. This is not an ordinary man. This is not simply a good teacher. This is not... Uh, somebody who's doing illusions and sleight of hand. This is someone who is healing people. Think about the miracle that prompted this entire discussion. A man has been invalid for 38 years. We talk about what that does to a body. And Jesus speaks to him. And in a moment, he gets up. That's the kind of works that Jesus is referring. He's saying, listen. I'm not here to just do a show. He told, he told us last week, I'm doing these works so that you may believe. And guess what? God's not done. He's going to do even more so that you may marvel. So Jesus is saying, listen, John told you I was coming. The Old Testament told you, we're going to get to that, I was coming. And when I came, the blind would see, the lame would walk, and the mute would hear. What have I been doing? Those very works. So he's saying, the works that God has sent me, they bear witness about me. This is just saying, okay, so that's second witness about who he is. In verse 37, and the Father who sent me, he himself is born witness about me. Okay? We, we saw, like, uh, it's not recorded in John's gospel. We see it in, in a couple of the others, his baptism. Uh, we see the baptism, but, but God speaks from heaven in Jesus' baptism and says... This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus has been validated by God the Father himself. He is born witness that this is whom I've sinned. God had been, like, listen, this is a people who've been following the Old Testament, which says over and over and over again, I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the promised one. I'm going to send the root of Jesse, the, the descendant of David. I'm going to send him. I'm going to send him. I'm going to send him. And, and Jesus is saying, 
that's who I am, right? And God told you all, like, voice from heaven, nobody generated that, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Verse 38, though, we're going to get into the issue of why we don't believe, but we got another witness still to come. And you do not have his word abiding in you, okay? So he says, uh, wait, verse 37, let's start there. And the father who sent me is, is born witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you. You do not believe the one whom he sent. Now, you need, to, you need to understand who he's talking to here. At least a portion of these uh, people having this conversation would be Pharisees, religious leaders. And Jesus just said, you don't have his word hiding in you. You don't have his word inside of you. Now listen, if you know anything about these guys, these guys don't get that title. They don't get to that position without memorizing entire books of the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the first five books, right? They, they know the Bible. And Jesus just said, you don't have the word. You don't have my word in you. Okay? So he's going to begin to separate, like, just because you know stuff, because you know about God doesn't mean you know God. He, listen, there's a lot of people that know the right answers, that would say they're followers of Jesus, that would say they've been saved, would say they are Christians, and they're as far from God as any pagan in any third world country who's never heard the name of Jesus. And this is what he's saying is, listen, you've never heard his voice. You've never seen his form. And you don't have his word abiding in you. For, and here's why. Because the only way for the word to be abiding in you, in us, in a people, is not to have the scriptures memorized. It's not to be a religious zealot. It's not to have all these things. But to believe on the one whom he has sent. Jesus is telling them, just because you know a bunch of Bible doesn't mean you know the one who wrote the Bible. If you knew the one who wrote the Bible, you would believe on the one whom he has sent. He's going to go on. This is a bold, this is one of my favorite verses. It's, it's incredible to think about. But verse 39 says, you search the scriptures. So he's talking to these people who have memorized entire books of the Bible. They, 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 listen, they could quote us under the rug when it, when it comes to the Bible. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. So there's the third witness. The Bible itself, Jesus is saying, has been talking about him. A few weeks ago, I, I read a portion of the Jesus Storybook Bible, and one of the reasons we love that tool, and there's a bunch of them still out there, take them if you don't have them, but one of the reasons we love that is because it shows us how the Old Testament is talking about Jesus. All these stories that we know and love, David and Goliath, Moses, uh, you know, baby Moses in the, in the, in the river, um, you know, the, the plagues, all of these stories that we know and love and sometimes are tempted to moralize into stories that we can learn from and, and, and we can learn, you know, how, let, let, me, let me fight my giants. I can be a David. If David fought his giants, I could fight my giants. And listen, the Bible's going, no, no, silly, you're not, you're not David, right? You're Israelites, you're the Israelites back in the camp being terrified, or you're the enemies of God, David is a type of Christ. David is there to point us to a conquering king who will one day stand in our place, right, fight our battles and conquer our enemy that is unbeatable. David is a type of Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. 
Abraham was a type of Christ. They're all to point us to the coming of Jesus. So he's saying the whole, the whole Bible that you know and love, it's telling you about me. But you've turned it into something that's about you, which is what we're going to get to next. But he's going to go on to say, you refuse to come to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Okay, so there's the issue. I'm going to go to the end and then we'll come back to this because he's going to call one more witness. A fourth witness is Moses himself, which is not unrelated to the scriptures because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible that they would love. But they would say, man, Moses is our guy. He gave us the law. They love the Bible. They love the scriptures because they've turned the scriptures into something that brings glory to them. And where'd they get the scriptures? They got them from Moses. They love them some Moses. Moses validates. They think that they are standing up and defending Moses. They're saying, you can't work on the Sabbath, man. Moses told us we can't. You can't come into our temples and tell us what we can and can't do. Moses told us how to do temple worship, right? And, and so they, they're all there. And Jesus is going to say, listen, guys, I, I'm not even the one that's accusing y'all. Remember John 3? God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, but God, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Right, but to offer salvation. So Jesus is not here to condemn. Jesus goes, I, I'm not even the one that's accusing you guys. I don't have to accuse you guys because there is one. I'm, I'm over in verse 45 now. He says, don't think that I'll accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you. His name is Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Because if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. You don't believe his writings? How are you going to believe my words? So there Four witnesses, Jesus is saying, I know it's hard for y'all to believe that I am who I say I am. I get it. It's a life-altering recognition. Whenever you say that Jesus is the Son of God, who was sent by God into this world to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, to die on a cross where you and I deserved to die for our sins, and that he was put in a grave that should have been for you and I for all eternity, and there he didn't stay, but he got back up. He's alive, and he's, he's there in victory over death in the grave. He's ascended into heaven, and he's, and he's said to all who would come to him and declare him as Lord, confess their sins, cry out to him as for, for salvation because he's the Savior. He says you can be saved. To admit that, to admit that that's who Jesus is, is a big, big deal. It should not be something that you do flippantly. It is not like a cultural acknowledgement of, oh, I grew up in America or I grew up in Illinois, so of course I'm a Christian. It's not just an acknowledgement of, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim, so yeah, of course I'm a Christian. It is not something that we casually acknowledge intellectually. It is something that is absolutely 100% life-altering. And so Jesus is saying, I get that. If you're going to acknowledge that I am who I say I am. You need some evidence. So let me give you the evidence. John told you that that's who I am. The Father told you that's who I am. And then he sent me to do some amazing things that none of y'all can do to prove that that's who I am. So my works. And in Moses, guys, Moses, your boy that you love, the Father, like Moses that gave you the law, he told you that a Messiah like this would be coming. And if you'll stop 
and realize all of the prophecies that Jesus has already fulfilled up to this point. Through his birth, through his miracles, Moses is saying, that's who I am. So why? Why isn't this a unanimous revival? Why don't they all just sign up and go, oh, thanks for unpacking all of that. We get it now. We just needed somebody to explain it for us. Why not? We've got to go back because Jesus just straight up calls them out. Verse 40. He's going to say, it's not about not having evidence. It's not about intellectual information. What does he say? You refuse. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying, you don't come to me because you don't want to come to me. You don't come to me because you refuse. Now, he's going to go on. He's going to get to the heart of the issue. He says, listen, I don't receive glory from people. I just told you all of that so that you would believe, so that you would be saved. I don't receive glory from people. But I know, verse 42, that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, we're going to come back to that. You'll receive him. But verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? This is the issue. Jesus says, you don't come to me because you don't want to. You don't come to me because you're refusing. And the reason that you're refusing is because you're after not the glory that comes from God, but the glory that comes from others, the glory that comes from other people. You are seeking the glory that comes from one another. You're looking to get exalted, not vertically from what God said, what God calls us to do, giving up our lives, worshiping him, giving ourselves over for him, but rather to get glory horizontally from gaining the praise of men, getting respect, getting admiration, getting fill in the blank, reputation, money, all of these things. Jesus is saying, this is what's keeping you. He's talking to this Jewish group of people. This is what's keeping you from receiving the very thing that God has been promising you because the very thing that God has been promising you is here. Can you imagine being a Jewish people that have been long awaiting the Messiah, the Savior to come and missing it? And why did they miss it? Because of lack of evidence? Because how many of you have thought, man, if I could just see some of the miracles, like if, if Jesus was just here and, and I saw some of the things, if I would have saw him Raise that guy, 38 years invalid, get up out of, his, out of, his, of his invalid state and start walking. How many of you are like, man, if, that's, if I could see that, I'd be all in. The Bible says, no, a good portion of you wouldn't. Why? Because we're, <laughs> we're in this great irony. Because while God so loved the world, God so loved us, turns out we also really love us. We also are big fans of us. God so loved the world. God so loved us, but we don't love him back. We love ourselves. We want glory for ourselves. And if that's what we're after, we will reject Jesus for who he is. Now, 
this is, this is a little hard to track with on the surface, right? It, it's a little bit interesting, especially when you come to, to the next verse. Uh, verse 43, Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name. You didn't receive me. But here's interesting. He says, if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Now, what's that about? Jesus is saying, I've come. I'm not here for my own glory. Jesus is going to say on repeat, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to get accolades, to get praise for myself. Listen, y'all, Jesus left a throne in heaven where angels, like hardcore, melt-your-face-off angels, gave him praise 24-7. Okay? He doesn't need your praise. He didn't come here to get some attention so he could win over a crowd. Do you guys like me? Did I do a good show? Jesus got all the praise he wants, all the praise he could ever need. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to sing to him. He gives us that command for our own good. It's another sermon, but, but you just need to know. He said, I, I didn't come with a campaign. Jesus isn't worried about his brand. He's not worried about followers. He's not worried, like, you know, number of followers. No, no, he's here, what, to seek and to save that which is lost. And in order to do that, he has to topple this idol, this God that we put in place of the God of the Bible. The Jews have replaced Yahweh as the God of the Bible, instead erected a, a, a God of themselves, a God of me, a God of what can I get out of this. If I can do these rules better than you, then I feel a little bit better about myself. If I can do these rules better than others, if I'm not sick, if I don't have leprosy, if I don't have a, a jacked up life like others, then I feel a little bit better about myself. He said, you want to memorize scripture not because it makes you worship God, but because you can quote it and, and be a little bit better than the other people in the room. He's saying, you don't come to me. You don't receive me because you don't want me. You want you, you want your own glory. So he says, I came in my father's name. You receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Now, what's that about? He's, here's the, let's look at it this way. Let's, just, let's take it to our modern context. Listen, I've struggled often with why pastors that I would consider prosperity preachers, meaning they peddle a gospel saying, hey, you come to Jesus, he's going to make you rich and happy and healthy. Right? You, all you need to do is have faith. You have faith and, and he'll, he wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be healthy. God is for you. And, and they, we, they twist the scriptures to, to, to give people a message that says, Hey, just come to Jesus. Just have faith. And he'll make you rich and happy and healthy. And meanwhile, I'm reading the Bible going, man, I, 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 don't, I don't actually see a lot of rich people following Jesus. After they follow Jesus, they actually give a lot of their stuff away. Uh, some people are homeless. They're following Jesus. Uh, they're getting beat up, persecuted, arrested. I'm not sure they're real happy. Certainly not real healthy. Following Jesus has not been good for their overall like, health, but, but what? He's offered, so what, what is this 
juxtaposition. Why is it that so many people will still go back to these prosperity preachers and teachers and these guys that are really just doing, you know, life coaching, right? Like, I don't have a problem. Some of these pastors, like, listen, Stephen Furtick says a lot of good things. And if he calls himself a life coach, I got no beef with that guy. But I got concerns with that guy. Because rarely do you hear him call people to repent of their sins. Okay? And I'm just name dropping one particular guy. There's the big smile of Joel Osteen. Listen, people, people don't always like that. The Bible tells me to be a shepherd. A shepherd warns where there are wolves. So I'm not trying to crush on your dreams. I'm not. Listen, some of the things they say are actually good. They might actually make your marriage better, make your life better. But if they didn't call you to repent of your doggone sins and trust in Jesus, what have you gained? What have you gained? So what is it that is about these guys that make it appealing? Well, here's what I think Jesus is getting at. I came, Jesus says, I came, I came in the name of the Father. I want no glory for myself. I'm here to give my glory away, and it's offensive to all of you. If somebody comes in their own name and they're trying to get glory for themselves, you'll run right to those fools. What's that about? When you find a pastor, preacher, teacher, a leader that it will tell you that life is about you, and they spend all of their times and their sermons finding verses where they can make it about you, right? And, and they might not even be wrong, but if they just major on that and they, they always tell you God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy, then, then you know, th- guess what that does? That, that, that kind of validates in you that, hey, yeah, I w- like, thank you. God does want that. I knew it. Right? Like we, we crave this validation because we all have this inward bent toward ourself, toward love of self. And so if we find somebody who's not actually preaching about Jesus to bring honor and glory to Jesus, but rather peddling some version of biblical, you know, theology to get a bunch of people to get on board with their brand and their website and buy their books and come on their tours and whatever. Why is that not offensive? Because it kind of validates our own desire to be the center of the universe, the center of the world, to be the one that life is about. So Jesus says, those guys come, you got no issues with them. That's why you thought you were cool with John the Baptist until he started talking about, you know, giving his own life up until he got arrested and got his head lopped off. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, my bad, didn't know. Wasn't what I signed up for. Yeah, John was all in for Jesus, and and he lost his life. Jesus is all in for God the Father, and that that will lead to him losing his life. So... Why is there this rub? Why is there this refusal to come to Jesus? Because they are searching the scriptures to get glory for themselves. They are following rules to get glory for themselves. All of a sudden, a savior, this teacher comes along, and he's not there to get glory for himself. That's offensive. That's a little scary. That's a little bit unnerving for them. So, Jesus' message, he's not here for his own glory. He walks away from crowds. He's here to serve rather than to, to be served. 
If he's here to give himself away rather than get from others what he can, what he can while he's here, then guess what? He's probably going to call us to do the same, isn't he? And that's where it gets offensive. That's where we're not quite sure we want to be all in on this Christianity thing. Because if, it, if Jesus is pro-me, then I'll be pro-Jesus. If Jesus will help my bank account, my wealth, my, my future, then, then cool, I'm all in with Jesus. But if Jesus starts calling me to give up myself for his glory, then now I'm not sure that I'm all in with Jesus. Because right here it says, you're seeking not the glory, verse 44, how can you believe? Jesus looks at him and goes, how can you? How do you expect to believe whenever you're receiving glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Well, you say, well, how do I get the glory that comes from God? Well, we just sang about it. Where's the glory from God come from? Where did Jesus get his greatest glory? From the cross. You see, Jesus' kingdom is counterintuitive. It's upside down. It's not what the world wants to hear. The world wants to hear, how do I get great? How do I get powerful? How do I make a good life for myself? Jesus says, give it away. Let it all go. Give up yourself, and that's where you'll find life. You're trying to find life? You think you're going to get it out of this world? You're going to lose it. You're going to find it was just like a vapor in your hands. You thought you had a hold of it, but when you opened it, there was nothing there. Talking about eternity, talking about giving your life to the pursuit of some glory from other people, reputation, status, all of these things, right? You're going to find at the end that there was actually nothing there. You thought you were grabbing it, but it was gone. You want to find life? Lay it all down. Give it all up for my sake, Jesus says, and there you'll find life. See, he doesn't want to take from us. He's not just, like, he's not trying to get a bunch of people who are just, like, out for self-harm and vows of poverty so that they can, you know, get an eternal reward. Because, listen, people will turn around and use that as well. They'll use, they'll use their vows of poverty. They'll use their religious zealousness that seems like they're depriving themselves of life so that they actually feel better about themselves compared to all you consumeristic people. Right? I can use it. I talk about foster care a lot. I believe that God's people should consider how are you called to care for the vulnerable people right here in our community that, that need our help. But here's the deal. You don't, think, you don't think Satan whispers at me to make me feel good about myself because I've taken in a few foster kids? You don't think that can be twisted to, to actually be self-promoting just like their study of the Bible was? You see, if you're doing any religious or good activities for your own namesake, you're mis you're, that's going to squeeze out the glory that comes from Jesus because the glory that comes from Jesus comes from the cross. We just sang about it. Oh, the glory. Oh, the power of the cross. Jesus has a cross-centered faith. He has a cross-like invitation to you. He says, I love the world so much that I've given all that I have so that the world may be saved. But so many people love themselves so much that they'll give all that they have thinking that they're saving themselves. The way to Jesus' glory was through his death. The way that he picked back up his life was by giving it up voluntarily. And he calls us to the same path. He calls us to give up our 
life because here's the, it's, it, he's not just trying to take from us. He's not here to condemn the world, remember? He's calling us to a deeper satisfaction because back to chapter four, what well leaves you thirstier, thirsty quicker than the praise of others? You ever thought about that? What well makes you thirsty quicker? You just took a drink and all of a sudden you need another one. What one does that quicker than trying to get praise from others? The need for constant validation, it never ends. The need to put others down so that you feel a little bit better. The need to see how many likes or clicks or whatever followers you can get on social media posts, right? The high that comes and then the disappointment that comes when your post fades into the background of everybody's feeds and and now nobody's talking about you or commenting on your post anymore. So what do you got to do? You got to put another one out there, right? Because I want that. I'm longing for that, right? Got to make another one. I know this post is pretty self-aggrandizing. This post might be showing too much of my body. This post might be too much about whatever, but, but I'm just doing it for likes, right? Everybody else is doing it, right? This is, this is the draw of, of today's age. It's just so blatantly on display in social media. Some of you can, can feel that really deeply. Others, though, man, that's not you, right? The pursuit of glory is far more subtle for so many of you guys, right? I thought about, like, blue-collar men likely don't have a social media account, don't know what the Twitter is. Insta what, right? There's not them. But that doesn't make them exempt from this temptation, does it? The pride that exists in those circles is sometimes even thicker, right? The self-image of toughness, self-sufficiency, pseudo-masculinity, right? That stuff keeps more people from giving their lives fully to Jesus because how it would make them look among their peers on the job site. You know what I'm getting at? There's this draw. Wherever you are, you see that people value certain things. And if you start giving your life to Jesus, that's going to change how they look at you. So guys in the blue-collar space, they'll often join in on the crass talk, on the women objectification, right? And just talking about your wife positively is countercultural in many of those spaces. Just saying, no, I don't want to ogle at other women because I actually enjoy my wife is countercultural and will get you mocked. So sometimes we'll pretend that we're not that big a deal, and we just go to church because the the old lady wants us to, right, just to keep the missus happy, right? We don't give Jesus the glory that is due. Just make that personal. I'm using a couple examples, social media and, you know, workplace, you know, values, but just make it personal. What would going all in with Jesus cost you with the people that you find important? What would it cost you? And if you're holding on to that instead of Jesus, then Jesus says you're missing out on the glory that comes from him. I've known parents that struggle with the thoughts of their kids going to the mission field, right? It sounds nice when we have the old family up here. Man, we admire them. We love that they were willing to do that. But man, you start talking about, well, I don't know. If, I, mean, I mean, my kid needs to go to college. My, my kid needs to have a, a good job. My kid needs to be secure. I've seen people really start to backpedal on their life and what they're willing to offer to Jesus when it starts to press up on their little view and value system, they start to go, well, 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 right? And we start to justify. And Seeking praise from others, seeking the glory of others will not lead you to life. It will lead you to bondage. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. 
but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It leads you to bondage. And Jesus has come to set captives free. He says, come to me. Lay it all down. I promise you'll not regret any of it. And you'll find the very life that your soul is craving. Jesus is the only one who's conquered death, hell, and the grave. The people that you're so desperately trying to get approval from, what have they done? Who cares? Who cares what they think? Who cares what your neighbors think? Who cares what your peers think, your friends, your coworkers, your parents? Like, if you aren't looking at Jesus as the one that you want to give yourself to, the one that you want to get glory from, Jesus says, you're missing out. I'm telling you this so that you'll be saved Jesus doesn't say any of this to condemn you, to make you feel crushed and put down and beat down. He's saying, no, 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 lift your head and come receive salvation. Would you do that this morning? Some of you, for the first time, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Come, confess you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and that you believe that Jesus is that Savior. You'll be saved. Others of you, man, you're saved. You've been saved by Jesus, but you've allowed your life to be predominantly shaped by what other people think, by what other people want, and what you fear it will cost you if you go all in with Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. I am the better Moses. Moses led the people out of slavery, but he was just telling y'all about what was to come. Jesus is saying, I've come to lead you all out of slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to the approval of others, and there you find freedom in the glory of God. Come. Lay down your life of self-love. Lay down your life of obsession and trust and worship Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word that cuts deep. I thank you for the truth that is in it. And I pray that it would be evident over and above my, my words who I hope were inspired by you. But may you speak deep and powerfully into our hearts and our souls. May you set us free and the bondage that comes, trying to get glory from one another. Call us into lives of radical obedience that lead to lives of radical joy, radical transformation. Come, fall powerfully in this place. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.